Hey, Salt Lake City. Oh my gosh, I wish I was there with you right now in person. Unfortunately, I've got to put up with the big screen. But uh, Vance Becker, the incredible team there, Kelsey Keddington III, uh, we just love you guys. You guys are doing such a fabulous job winning a great city, the city of Salt Lake. And I know that the best days are in front of you. And uh, But do do talk to Vince and Becca. They actually are the ones who are blocking me from coming. Uh, I haven't been skiing in Park City. I haven't been able to come and play golf. I haven't been able to do anything because they've put a slight ban on me. So give them a hard time. See if you can convince them to get me back in person so that I can come and hang out with the best people in uh, beautiful America. Love you guys. Well, this month we're doing a series called God in Hollywood. A number of years ago, gosh, going back now, probably 16, 17 years, I wrote a book called God in Hollywood. And, uh, and it, it was a, like a bestseller down under in Australia, which doesn't take a whole lot, but anyway, that's what it was. Just talking about how the Holy Spirit will hijack Hollywood to communicate to the masses. When I was a youth pastor, I had this philosophy, this revelation that God showed me that the, the church of the 21st century has become the movie theater, that more young people shape their values, their morals, their ethics, their lifestyle, their passions, and their, their core beliefs on what they pick up in a movie theater than the church. The church had lost the millennials. The church had lost Generation X, but the movie theater with blockbuster movies and surround sound, Dolby surround sound and sci-fi and special effects had captured a generation. Now, before you get all religious, let me just explain something. A lot of people have a, a problem saying the church should not be about entertainment. I've even heard, you know, fundamentalist preachers say, the church is not about entertainment, young people. It's about evangelism. Yeah, we got to get young people away from entertainment. Well, let me just give you the, the definition in the dictionary of entertainment. Entertainment in the dictionary goes like this. To capture and hold an audience's attention for an extended period of time. Once again, entertainment. To capture and hold an audience's attention for an extended period of time. Friend, listen, if our preaching, if our ministry, if our churches do not have an engaging, entertaining factor, we will continue to lose a generation. I don't want the holy weirdos teaching our young people morals and values, but you need to understand that God is bigger than that. And so he hijacks Hollywood. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to do a rewrite of God in Hollywood and release that, get that book, it's powerful. And, and then I've got a, a sequel that'll be coming out to it as well. But let me just draw your attention today in the scripture, two scriptures we're going to read. The first one is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. So turn there, Genesis 1, 14, watch this. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be for, oh, excuse me, and let them be for lights in the firmaments of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. It was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day 
the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So God created the stars. God created the lights. He created the constellations for times and for seasons. Today, it's interesting that we call any successful actor or actress a star. I want to go to Hollywood. I want to be a star. You can walk along uh, the, uh, uh, the boulevard there in, in Los Angeles, and you can see the, the, on the pavement they've got stars, and each of these great actors have their stars. And they are shining lights. That they, they give seasons, they give guidance, they give times, they give na- navigation. The front page of our magazines will have Brad and Angelina are doing this. Brad is dating again. Angelina has bought a new dress. Short hair is in. And, and the whole world follows with obsession. So wouldn't it be just like God to capture and hijack Hollywood every now and again. So let me give you three realities that we see on a regular basis through Hollywood before we become the anti-Hollywood, picketing, condemning Hollywood. Let's just just have a look. The first thing that I want you to understand is that there's a common thread, a common theme that goes through most blockbuster movies, and that is the great battle between good and evil between morality and immorality and wickedness, between virtue and ungodliness, between right and between wrong. And we see this played out in the, in the uh, blockbuster Transformers from the planet Cybertron. We see the noble Autobots led by Optimus Prime fighting against the Decepticons led by the evil Megatron. And so we see this battle, and there's this cosmic battle in the universe that is happening between good and evil. Even my favorite growing up was Star Wars, and I loved Star Wars, and you saw the battle between the Empire and the Republic, and and good and evil, and, and it's all intertwined, and there's the battle and lightsabers and swords, and you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you can't win, Darth. If you'll strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Your powers grow weak, old man. And so there's this, this great battle, and you know, Anakin falls in love with Padme, and, but the emperor who wants to dominate the universe has other plans, and he knows that if he can break Anakin's heart, he can turn him, he can fulfill his plan to switching him over completely to giving in to the dark side. Where is Padme? I'm afraid in your anger you killed her. No, she was alive. I felt it. And so the story goes on. And that that story goes even a little bit deeper because we see the conflict of good versus evil inside of Darth Vader and this wrestle going on. And, And then Luke Skywalker comes along and refuses to kill his father after fighting with him, believing that there's good in him, laying his life on the line. And finally, we see it. The Well, I don't want to be a spoiler in case you haven't seen it, but... Uh, Darth Vader picks up the emperor and throws the emperor into the abyss of destruction. And so so there's these beautiful themes between the battle between good and evil, the battle between good and evil, all the way through, through the movies because there's something resident. The Bible says that God has written his laws 
on the tablets of our heart. We can take his laws away from our justice halls. We can remove his laws from our courtrooms. We can remove the Ten Commandments from our schools. But you know what? Man will not succeed in removing God's laws completely because the Bible says that God has written his laws on the tablets of our heart. I don't have to teach my child that what he's doing is wrong. He knows, even with his conscience, he knows that stealing is not good. Nobody had to tell him. This is an innate thing that God has put in there. We want to do right, and there's this battle raging within each and every one of us, and that battle, because it rages within us, rages on the outside of us. You know, don't fall for the lie that we need more government. Because here's the thing, we only need more police when there are less people self-policing. America was founded on a constitution, and George Washington said that this constitution is utterly worthless if the people of America should ever become ungodly and irreligious. The constitution was created for a religious, God-fearing, God-loving people. And you need to understand that, that when people love God, you don't need a whole lot of police. But there is a spirit that understands if we can remove people from God, remove people from His laws, then we're going to have crime and chaos. And I'm telling you, there's no amount of police that can be there. Your moral conscience and the Holy Spirit is with you 24 hours a day. The police, they are finite. They are limited to time and space. And they are sometimes... 25, 30 minutes away with a phone call. So there's a battle between good and evil. It's throughout all the Hollywood movies. The second thing that we see is the need for a savior. Point number two, the need for a savior. Some of my favorite movies are the Marvel comics and the DC comics where we see the superheroes and, and you know, Superman. I, I, I love Superman because I'm not sure whether you realize this, but the, the original writers of Superman, the original inventors of Superman were actually j two Jewish men. And they wrote because they, they were lamenting how a generation in America had moved away from faith and moved away from God. And so they, they, they decided to, to put together a, a fictional story to explain biblical truth. So there is Jor-El and there is Ka-El. And Jor-El means, uh, it means God's word. And Ka-El is who Superman's real name is, is son of God. And so the, the, the Father God, the, the Word, speaks to the Son. And so there's this powerful interplay with Him coming down from another planet, adopted parents. I've read that somewhere before. Into the earth, adopted parents. Anyway, grows up in the Midwest and becomes a savior, realizing his powers. Now, you need to understand, you see the boy Superman up until his teenage years, and then you don't see him again till he bursts in at about 30 years of age as Clark Kent slash Superman. And there's this, this dynamic, there's this humanity and divinity, humanity and divinity, it's Jesus Christ. In Superman Returns in 2007, there's a powerful scene 
where Lois Lane, who is a journalist, had written a piece because Superman had to go away to spend time with his father and she was heartbroken and she felt abandoned by Superman. So she wrote and, and, and it won a Nobel, a Nobel Prize for journalism. She wrote this piece on, does the world really need a savior? And now in this Superman Returns, there's this moment where Superman is holding Lois and he says to her, listen, do you hear that? And she says, I hear nothing. And Superman says, I hear everything. You wrote the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying for one. You know, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Old Testament is these are God's perfect laws and no human being, no zealous Pharisee, no religious nutter can fulfill, no, no fire walker, hot coals walker, no unleash the giant within human can produce from our flesh, from our humanity, the perfection of God, the righteousness of God, so that we can enter into relationship with God. This was lost in the garden. The Ten Commandments were sent in the Old Testament to show us our depravity, our inability to save ourselves. Even when Jesus was on the cross, the chant around the cross was, come on, he could save others. Himself he cannot save. Save yourself and then we'll believe you. The, the, the cry of a rebellious man is, come on, show us that we can save ourselves so we don't need to, to humble ourselves and be dependent upon God. But the truth is, my friend, you and I cannot save ourselves. We can't do enough good things. We can't do enough treks and we can't read enough Bible and we can't pray enough and we can't walk enough broken glass and help enough old people with their shopping carts. There's not enough good things that we can do to produce the perfection and the righteousness of God because all of us have a sinful nature. Therefore, a Savior had to come. That Savior was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law and then He died on the cross in our place. The world knows that we need a Savior. Another one of my favorites is Spider-Man. Spider-Man, the web-slinging hero who gets bitten by a radioactive spider. And, and all of a sudden he begins to find that he can climb walls and Peter Parker and then, you know, he, his uncle tells him with great power comes great responsibility. And then he realizes with great power that he's got comes great responsibility because he's in love. And he's like, man, this, this whole savior thing's interfering. I'm losing jobs. I can't keep timelines. And, and my, 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 my crush on my next door neighbor, my sweetheart, she's Maybe I can dangle upside down and get a kid, but anyway. And so he's got all of these things going on, but he realizes, no, no, he's been gifted with this power. Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, we believe in the power of God. The devil's a liar. He doesn't want our churches filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power, but the power is not there just for us to brag or have our little Holy Ghost Rotary Club. No, no, no. The power is there for us to have, take on the responsibility of the Great Commission. 
Who are you reaching out to? Who are you engaging? Who are you talking with about the Savior, about Jesus Christ? Are you praying for people when you encounter sickness and disease and people going through struggles? And are you praying? Are you releasing that power? God gave you that power not to stop with you, but to flow through you to a hurting broken, dying world. With great power comes great responsibility. One of my recent favorite movies is, uh, is a movie starring Denzel Washington. It's called The Equalizer. Now there's The Equalizer 1 and Equalizer 2. It's a powerful story, again, of the great battle between good and evil. Even more than that, uh, there's a lament in there about how governments and institutions have become so corrupted so full of wickedness and corruption, and how those in power exploit through greed the vulnerable and the weak, and they're enslaved in the chains of injustice. And then here's a man who has special forces training who comes and he's the equalizer. And he goes after the head of the snake and takes the head off the snake. and. It's, it's just so powerful. It's, it's vigilante justice. It's naughty. It's, it's like a Jack Reacher on steroids. But I love that because there's something resonating on the inside of us. You were created by God for God. On the inside of you is a compass. On the inside of you is, is this barometer that tells you right from wrong, good from evil, that resonates with that. And you will find that as you watch some of these movies, you see that, my God, there is a battle between good and evil and we need a savior. We need somebody to come. We need somebody to sacrifice. We need somebody to lay down their life and, and, and do that. You know, we saw that in, in The Lion King where Mufasa sacrifices his life to save Simba, whom he loves. The third thing that we see in God in Hollywood, when God uh, seems to hijack Hollywood through the Holy Spirit, is we see the gospel story elevated. The movie I just quoted, The Lion King, is the gospel story. There's a father and his only son, and they have a kingdom. But Scar, who has no right to the throne, lusts and covets the throne, but he knows the only way he can get to the throne is he's got to take out the father and his only son. Hmm, where have I read that before? It'll come to me. And so the whole thing, he makes an alliance with one third of the ancient, excuse me, with the hyenas, and they overthrow and they try and kill the father, which they succeed in doing. They try and kill the son, but the son comes back in the end, almost resurrected out of the wilderness and comes and whoops Scar and restores law and order back to the pride land, back to the universe. That's the story of Jesus. But one of the most powerful ones that I want to encourage you, you can watch with your kids, is the Disney classic Hercules. The Disney classic Hercules. I think it's uh, in the late 90s, so powerful. So powerful in, in, in the, the Disney story Hercules, that they basically just switched out the names, Hercules and Jesus. So Hercules is the son of God, the son of Zeus, and he falls in love with Meg. Meg is on, on the planet, but Hades, who is the devil, is trying to not only take out Mount Olympus, but he's trying to enslave Earth and all the people to be his subjects, including Meg. Meg is a very, very broken young girl, and she has, out of desperation, sadly made some agreements and some alignments with Hades because she's trapped and she's broken. Meg female is always a picture of the church. And so 
Hercules comes and for him to rescue her, he has to leave his deity behind. He has to leave his God power behind. So he leaves his God power behind and he comes down and Hades tries everything to wipe him out and to kill him. He fights all these giants and he defeats them, not, not with uh, his divine power, but simply because of his surrender and, and his commitment to be the savior. Well, in the end, he discovers that, that Meg has one foot in Hades and one foot wanting to be saved. She's in love with Hercules, but she doesn't know and she's bound by this agreement, this alignment she made with, with Hades. And so Hades realized the only way he can take out Hercules is he's got to kill Meg and put her into Hades, put her into hell, put her into death. Well, I love the story because Hercules realizes to rescue his future bride, he's got to take on death. And so once he plunges into death, Hades rejoices and thinks, yes, I've got him. And he brings out these scissors to cut the cord. And there's this golden cord, but every time he tries to cut it, it doesn't seem to cut. And he's like, what is wrong? Why, why can't he? Because Jesus says, I lay my life down. Because I lay it down, I have authority to pick it up again. It's echoed in this movie so powerfully. And you see him, you see Hercules in the, the sea this, this of, of Hades swimming down until he finds Meg and he reaches out and he grabs Meg. And then he comes up and he comes up out of hell, out of death, out of Hades. And he defeats Hades, overthrows Hades, restores order and then sits at the right hand of Zeus with, with Meg, but because of his love for Meg, he ends up coming back and, and ruling over the earth. It is so powerful. There are so many movies all the way through Hollywood that describe the battle between good and evil, right and wrong, justice and injustice. And you will find that the gospel story is elevated again and again and again. There are some incredible movies and we'll let you know which ones to watch with your, with your family, with your friends to to reinvigorate, but I gotta tell you, one of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century is that the greatest story ever told is sadly not the greatest story being told by the church. When we see the street preachers standing on the street corner saying to people they're gonna burn in hell, friend, that's not good news. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross so that you don't gotta burn in hell. He died on the cross to take away all our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Friend, I want you to know that God so loved you, he realized you and I needed a savior. This savior came as the God-man, Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law of God, but because of his love for you and for me, when they nailed him to the cross, and the people yelling out, save yourself and everything in his body with all the pain of nails, Roman nails through his wrist, one nail driven through both his legs into the, into the wood, a crown of thorns on his head, his back torn up from the, the cat of nine tails beating from the Romans. Everything would have been screaming, get down off that cross. But you know what held him on that cross? It wasn't the nails, it was his love for you. He loved you so much that he did this so that your sin could be washed away, that you could have remittance and remission from your sin so that you could have not only eternal life in heaven, but so that right now that cloud layer that separated the sun, 
the, the, the warmth of God, the love of God and the light of God from your life could be stripped away so that you could have relationship and connection with God right here, right now. So if you're away from God, I want to pray for you. If you've never surrendered to God, friend, surrender to God. This whole month, you're going to be hearing stories of how God's moving in Hollywood and, and how there are powerful biblical principles laced all the way through some of these movies. I want to encourage you, bring your friends, bring family, bring people, bring your work colleagues, bring them to church. It's going to be fun. It's going to be engaging. People are going to be, man, I love that movie. What? I, that's in the Bible. It's going to be so easy to get your friends saved. We've got one thing, one mission on this planet. You can't take your house with you. You can't take your car with you. You can't take your iPhone with you to heaven. You can't take your favorite football jersey with you. The only thing you and I can take to heaven is souls, other people. That's the only thing we can take to heaven. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So bring your friends. But let me pray for you. If you've never surrendered to God, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, I'm so sorry for my sin. Thank you that you died on the cross to wash away my sin. I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're here and maybe you had a religious upbringing. Maybe you heard all about Jesus, but you had no idea that this is the, the Jesus of the Bible. Friend, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and just far from God. Friend, the good news is at C3, you don't got to walk out those doors the same way you walked in. Today, I can pray for you. Christ can come into your heart and everything can change in a moment. So why don't you just close your eyes and bow your head as Pastor Vince comes up. And I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, you see all of these beautiful people. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You see all of these beautiful people. And Lord, I know that you love them. And if you're here right now under the sound of my voice and you've never surrendered to God or you're far from God, you're away from God, sin separating you from God, you had a religious upbringing but you've never really fully embraced or surrendered to Christ or you're just away and you know you need to come back. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you quickly raise your hand? And one of the team will see it and we're going to pray for you. That's it, hands all over the place lifting. If that's you, that's it, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Keep lifting those hands. I'm away from God. I'm far from God. I need to come back to God. I want to surrender to God. I, I, I want my sin washed away. Thank you. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you that when you died on the cross, you washed away all our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for sending a Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're in good hands. Take it over, Vince. God bless.